one of the problems we have in this, this ecosystem of the workplace is everything is still very disconnected. Everything is very fragmented. There's, there's lots of stakeholders that have to come together to make things work for the modern office. And they're, they're just disconnected and there's no technology that, that ties them together and makes things easy to use. You've really got to put that technology layer in place because that's what your customers are expecting to exist now. You've scanned the headlines, read the articles, and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by allwork.space. Are you ready? Clint, welcome to the Future of Work podcast. It's really great to have you with us today, and thank you for joining us. Frank, thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here and get to talk to you about the future of all things work. Well, we're looking forward to that. Before, before we get started, I'd like to uh, give everybody a little uh, background on, on who you are. Um, uh, uh, you have a tremendous reputation as a technologist and a serial entrepreneur, actually. Uh, and I guess you've dedicated your career to solving uh, complex problems technologically. Um, I know you launched uh, several companies when you were younger, uh, and you launched Lane recently. Uh, and have, Lane has become the world's largest, most interactive platform for the workplace. Um, I know you're used to speaking and, and doing things on a conference, so let's just get into this uh, Future Work uh, podcast. That sounds fantastic. Let's do it. Well, kind of a couple questions for you to start to start things off. Uh, uh, you know, when we talk about the future of work, it's always about people, it, uh, ultimately. And, uh, and so in your view, what does the future office look like for employees? Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, then that's like a top of everybody's mind right now, especially <laughs> because of COVID, right? And like what is happening? How far in the future do you want to go? Is this like two years? Is it five or? You know, I... I think most companies today are, have a, a, a midterm plan of 2025 uh, uh, or 2023 is, is kind of short term for a lot of large companies. Uh, and then uh, government and really the larger companies seem to have a 2030 plan coming at them. Um, no one knows what that's going to be yet because we don't know where, where how things are going to evolve. But I think people are looking out about that far. That, totally. Uh, yeah, let's think 2030 then. We're in 2021. And look how long it took video to get uh, adopted. And COVID just came and like accelerated that so quickly, yeah. right? Like people weren't really having virtual meetings before COVID. And then it came along and now th that's kind of how we have meetings. So I think the the office of the future has really been changed by that dramatically. I think in 2030, we're looking at like a really hybrid, truly hybrid, meaning we're going to have video conferencing, VR, AR type meetings, in-person meetings, plus uh, distributed workforces where that, that giant headquarter office may be a thing of the past. And our, our uh, employees are going to be working remote and distributed where they come into smaller satellite offices when they need to do that personal like in-person meeting. And I hope by 2030, it's going to be all driven by uh, technology that makes it seamless, makes it really easy to use for everybody. I think that's the ideal future of work that we're all looking for. Uh, and then we're going to see over the next couple of years how it actually plays out in reality. Well, you know, it's, it, it's interesting. Everybody's using this term remote work as if it means we're not connected somehow. And the reality is, you and I right now, I'm in Newport Beach, California, my residence, uh, uh, and you're in Toronto, Canada, uh, on a, a nice deck overlooking the city. 
um, you and I are in our workplaces, but we're not even remotely remote. Yeah, we're connected. Correct. We're totally connected. Uh, uh, so I think people, when they, they think of remote, they think of that as being uh, a, let me get the sign off here. Um, they, they think of that as being a distance issue or a disconnected issue. And it's really, right. we are fully connected. Uh, right. I know we've been using video as a company. Uh, I, I think our first video installation was in 1982. Uh, and it was it was ridiculous, uh, ridiculously expensive, ridiculously complicated. Yeah. yeah. Uh, only engineers sharing giant documents for projects were using video back then. You know, you had to have third third party uh, connect two different systems that didn't speak together, et cetera, but we still used it. And yep. we found that uh, we were able to even then reduce our travel time uh, by about 50 percent our long distance. Right. right. Um, and uh, we've used it. We've always used it and always had a, a remote operating company or a distributed uh, workforce. Uh, and, and there's nothing that has ever been in our way because of it. So uh, I, I think it's attitudes that we're going to have to overcome as opposed to practicalities. Um, and, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, what do you think about the, the, the common comment that comes up is, oh, we have to preserve our company culture. Um, uh, you know, our, and it's like, does, does everybody have to see it be in the same room to believe the same things? I, well, I think they've already, like they had to already. And that's why like this whole COVID thing is such an interesting accelerator on top of everything that we're doing. Company culture already had to evolve and people have adapted and found new ways to like bring people together and make them feel connected, even if they are remote during this time. I think, yeah, I, I agree with you. What, what does remote really mean now in like a, a hyper-connected world? Uh, to truly be remote, you'd have to be pretty far away and like actually disconnected from the internet, which is getting less and less likely anywhere you go. So I do agree, like the word remote doesn't really make as much sense anymore. You're still connected, even if you're working in another city, you could be in a city in Europe working for your company, but you've but you're definitely connected. You're you've still got great coffee shops to go to, and co-working places, and opportunities to hop on video chat and and meet your company. Uh, I think I think it's definitely harder to establish a culture that where everybody is just digital, but I think it's definitely possible. And I think also, like we know, the future of work isn't a hundred percent digital. It's not all online. There's still tons of opportunities to meet up and meet each other and meet uh, like actually this week we're doing uh, independent meetups around the world with our with our company because we are a remote company now and we've actually got different meetups for groups of like 10 to 15 people depending on their geographic location we're all going to meet up on a day uh, and meet all different kinds of people from the company get together and, and and you know have a culture building activity so I think if people are really worried about that I think they didn't have a strong culture to begin with and I you're think here. they're, missing, they're missing a ton of opportunities to like still. Yeah, like have absolutely. I, I think you, you hit it right there that that if you don't have a, 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 a if you don't have strong philosophies to begin with and strong culture structure to begin with, then uh, even if you're all in the same room singing the same song at the same time, um, it doesn't matter. Right. Uh, and, and, you know, overall. You know, when you talk about remote uh, and you just referenced uh, what uh, one aspect of a digital nomad, you know, it might be working in London versus New York or something like that, but still working for the same company. We think there are three 
layers of digital nomad that impact what you're talking about, really, uh, and impact culture. Um, and uh, the, the fantasy layer is that you and I grab our surfboards and we go to Bali and we do some sort of gig and, uh, you know, surf all the time and, and pretend we're working. That's, that's, I think, the classic vision of the digital nomad. That sounds, that sounds great. <laughs> I, I, so it's very unrealistic, though, for based yeah, on well, the job right now. It, it's very limiting, uh, and there are very few people can actually do it. Um, yeah. Then you, you have what you were describing and what we refer to as the slow mad, digital slow mad, meaning they move maybe from Berlin where they live for six months and then they move down to Barcelona for six months, maybe up to London. Maybe they move seasonally with the weather, um, but they're still they're working for the same company and they have a job that they can do remotely. It really doesn't matter where they are and they move, you know, it's semi-permanent basis. And then there's what we call the nomad, the local digital nomad. <clears throat> and if you think about it, you're a nomad. I'm a nomad. Okay. The greatest percentage of workers, when you talk about hybrid work today, are already digital nomads. They just haven't been defined as a group, and they haven't learned to function overall in that capacity uh, structurally. But we are all travelers. There's no such thing as a as an office occupier anymore. Everybody's a traveler. Everybody is a nomad in some respects, and uh, uh, you know I, I think that just that recognition of that aspect of work sort of makes the thought processes about hybrid work or remote work or anything very easy and very practical. I, I love that terminology, actually, because most of our staff that are 25 to 32 are all slow mats, as you described it. They actually want to, they, they don't want to live in the same city for too long. They want to do six months here, six months there. We have the yeah. same thing. Uh, our, the producer of this podcast is, it falls into that category. Uh, he, he's moved around several times since he's been part of our team and, and, and he does a great job and, and there's no no recognition that he's not there you right. know we have, have right. a number quite a number of people like that as well so it works uh, uh overall particularly for younger people and i think it makes them better employees honestly because uh, and teammates because they have the chance to learn more they have the chance to expand their thought processes more maybe pick up another language or understand another culture better which just makes them a much stronger contributor to your team and they're happier when you're when you're talking about culture like that that could be a big part of your culture is, a, is embracing that kind of lifestyle that people want to live and i think the like the future of work is definitely most of it's going to be about how do you adapt to what what do the employees want because the employees are emerging as a as the strongest driving force in uh, how companies actually function like what do your what do your employees want because it's so hard to attract and retain like the best people right now like yeah. that, it is that is and that, that's always been a problem. It's now a bigger problem. And because of COVID now, it's an even bigger, bigger problem. We're facing like the great resignation uh, as people just don't want to come to work anymore uh, unless you can offer them something great. And I think this is something you really got to embrace. You've got to embrace this and offer this. Um, if, if we can, we can let our, our team be slow mads or, or, or nomads or low mads. Any one of those are great. And I think that's kind of the future of work where we have to support 
all these different working modalities for our team because they're all equally important. And it's very unlikely that we're going to build a company of hundreds of people that all have one working modality. It, it, that seems very unlikely that we're only going to have slow mads. Or we're only going to have uh, people who want to come into the office. Or uh, That seems unlikely to happen. Well, I, I, I think it, uh, you mentioned um, an age group um, uh, that fell into your, your first category, your, your, your slow mad category. Um, uh, I think that as you look at working modalities, as you call it, um, it has a lot to do with the maturity of the individual. Uh, and by maturity, I'll, I'll use age maturity, not, not emotional or mental, mental maturity. Um, at a certain point in your life, you want to explore and look at things. At a certain point in your life, you start to settle into things with a partner. At a certain point in life, you've established your home base with a family. Uh, and uh, in each of those cycles, you shouldn't have to necessarily change jobs or change companies. You That's should right. be able to see the, the and fulfill the growth vision that you had when you started your first job. Say, well, I'll, I'll take this job for a while and then I'll, I'll get a real job. Oh, I'll take this job for a real job for a while and then uh, I'll see if I can turn it into a career. No, you, you can start your career and, and, and go through this work phase from day one and, and follow your dream and, you know, right when you want to. You don't, you don't need to hold that off. And I think that's an, an offering that companies can make to win the war for talent uh, with a lot of people. And, and it is a, it's a battle. It started long before COVID. It was starting aggressively in 16 and 17. And um, we were talking to larger companies that uh, putting together flexible workplace programs back then because they couldn't hire talent if they didn't do that. And their idea of a flexible workplace program was, well, uh, you can work from home one day a week. Yeah, um, yeah, <laughs> yeah it's right. right. Flexible, flexible. Very but, flexible. You know, now uh, I think HR is going to be a driving force rather than an administrative function in the way companies are organized economically. Yes, um, yeah. They have not been in the past. They've been an administrative function and an overhead, but I think strategically they will be a driving force in the way companies uh, are created and the way they're organized and managed overall, uh, yeah. not just uh, taking care of bits and pieces. I 100% agree with that, actually. Most of uh the companies that buy our product, uh, it's actually driven through HR and HR is rolling out this new like title called head of workplace experience or head of employee experience. Like this is the driving force now in a lot of organizations. And it makes sense, right? Because every, every organization in North America is predominantly payroll driven, right? We're all, uh, we have thought workers. We don't have as much manufacturing anymore. Uh, we don't have as much people who like produce physical goods. It's people who, our thought workers, the, the, uh, you know, like the, our company, 90% of our costs is, is payroll, right? So of course it's in our best interest to maximize that. Well, first attract the best people, keep them here, maximize their productivity, give them whatever they need to be as successful as possible. It, it kind of just makes sense. Right. Um, and I, I like, I love what you said too, about like, this was already happening before COVID. I actually feel like a lot of this stuff was happening before COVID. And there was all these things that we already knew that we should have been doing, like these open floor concept offices where everything's just super noisy and nobody can concentrate. Like we knew that was a bad idea already, right? Like we yeah. knew that before COVID and we should have been all going in this direction, but for some reason we weren't. 
and it's I so I totally agree. Like we there was a lot of knowledge before COVID. Some people were taking action. And it's not like COVID invented all these new ideas. It, it feels more like it it just kind of shook people up and made them realize what they should have already been doing all along. Well, I'll, 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 I'll tell you where that shakeup has come, I think. I think the people in HR knew they needed to have something to win the war for talent uh, or to at least be in the game uh, overall. But I think what COVID has done is, and I tell the same little story oftentimes, you know, you, you have the CEO and the CFO of a company walking through the, the corporate headquarters during COVID. And they look around and, and, and <clears throat> the CEO says to the CFO, you know, uh, where is everybody? And, and, you know, well, they're all working somewhere else. The whole place is empty, right? <clears throat> and the CEO says, well, company's doing fine. Yeah. And the CFO says, we don't need this anymore. And so that comes down to repurposing. When, when, and as soon as the, the CFO says that, the brain starts going. And the CFO says, wait a second. I have a million square feet of space on an average of a seven-year uh, lease term um, at uh, $4 per foot. Uh, blah, 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 blah. It does a quick calculation and says, I can move everybody down to a three-year cycle by going to remote combinations of remote work, uh, tech work, uh, work from home, work from business centers, co-working centers, third places, et cetera. Uh, I can scalp 60% uh, of my long-term lease liability, which is debt on my balance sheet, and I can move that into uh, available funds, and I can grow the company at twice the speed. Yeah. So, so when soon as that, when they stop and say, well, you know, we, we, we have an obligation to our employees and they say, wait a second, why do we employ these people? Well, it's because we have a bigger obligation to our shareholders. That's right. Okay. That's, as soon right. as they align their obligation to their shareholders with the opportunity or the obligation to employees, that is what will drive permanent action. And yeah. that is happening right now. That will repurpose a lot of cities. And so uh, there's the commercial space in a lot of cities. And when that happens, what we'll see, and look around you in Toronto right now, the cost of living in downtown Toronto in a nice apartment, condo, or residence is very expensive. I, I think it might be the highest in the world right now relative it, to hugely expensive. purchasing power. Yeah. Now, look around you and look at all the commercial buildings <clears throat> and say, well, if we took a third of that space and turned it to residential, what would it do? That's right. Okay. Right. It would reduce pollution because you wouldn't have to have people commuting into the city that were occupying that space. It would vitalize the center of the city uh, because uh, people that worked in the city lived in the city. Um, and it would reduce the cost of that residence in the city for, for people so they could afford to live in the city. So this whole thing of remote work as we're talking about it or flexibility in the workplace has a massive effect, effect not just on the HR department in a particular company or the fact that you and I want to take our surfboards and go to Bali. Uh, it has a massive effect on repurposing and redesigning cities overall. Absolutely. And I, I think what you just described to generates a more interesting city because one of the problems, 
way more interesting, right? Uh, one of the problems with the CBD in Toronto uh, it, 10 years ago, it's, it's getting better now because they're introducing more residential. Um, on the weekend or even like after hours and on the weekends, it was a ghost town. There's nothing there. The city, it, it just dies and there's nothing to do. Nobody goes there. It's a part-time city. That's right. So even Manhattan is like that. Um, you know, say how many people get on a train and commute into Manhattan or London is like that in certain places. Uh, uh, so it, this is a, a, a big deal. We, we're, we're utilizing our cities, uh, we'll say 10 or 12 hours a day instead of 24 hours a day. So we have a massive, massive wasting asset as a, as a culture and as a society. Uh, and that asset costs us in pollution, in time, in lifestyle, in every, everything that we do. And so, if you think about who's really good at figuring out how to, you know, generate revenue out of things, it is this commercial real estate industry. Like they, they will pivot into that if it makes sense. And they will start switching commercial real estate into residential. Uh, we've seen like the, the, a lot of our customers, we've seen the rise of the mixed use building. Oh yeah, absolutely. Residential office, uh, some some flex, uh, some quote unquote flex working, uh, plus some interesting retail, a restaurant, and that makes it a more interesting place to go. You've you've kind of like diversified your 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 portfolio of stuff to do in the city by doing that too, right? Uh, so it's it's one of these interesting scenarios where when you start to do that, everybody kind of wins out of doing that, um, like the. The downtown's more interesting, so the restaurants are getting more business. You're getting more tourism to the city because you've just yep. made a you've just made something more interesting. No, you have, and, and when you think about it, it's sort of like what's what's old is new again. Uh, go to the older part of the cities. Go to <laughs> right. the older part of Toronto. Right. Look at the storefronts, then look up and say, "Oh yeah, the folks that run that store used to live above it." That's right. Yeah, I the, the everything old is new. That's. If we're in that cycle forever, it seems. Uh, they lived above the cows uh, that they kept. Uh, you know, it, it, the concept of live work has been around since uh, probably the cave days. You know, I mean, th that whole concept. When we started building high rises, the live work concept changed radically. And when we built the transportation infrastructure to import workers, if you will, to the high rises, that changed everything. And now right. we're going to reuse those high rises for the live work concept. And that that is happening all over the world, as we see. What what do you what do you see as the the biggest problems coming up for the worker? What do you see as as you know 2030, what 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 do you think the workforce is going to have to deal with aside from change? Um, um, uh, as a problem, I think what one of the problems we have in this this ecosystem of the workplace is everything is still very disconnected. Everything is very fragmented. There's there's lots of stakeholders that have to come together to make things work for the modern office, and they're they're just disconnected. And there's no technology that, that ties them together and makes things easy to use. And if there's anything the modern person wants, not even just the modern worker, but we've all come to expect that. Everything is enabled through technology and it's really easy to use now. Like if I want to book a person's apartment in another city, I use something like Airbnb. Or if I want to get a ride from place A to place B, I'm going to call an Uber or a Lyft. And, or if I want to get food delivered, I'm going to get something like Uber Eats or, or uh, Postmates. 
So we've kind of come to expect this, this ease of, of use of everything in everything else in our life, but the world of work really has not caught up to it. And if we're moving to like, you know, the, the future worker, it's going to be, we're going to layer on some flex. They're going to be, you're going to switch between a LOMAD to a SLOMAD to an actual digital nomad kind of throughout your career, or even throughout maybe a couple of years, but really everything's still like disconnected and there's friction everywhere that makes that actually kind of hard. Like if I wanted to drop into Berlin next week and book a, a co-working or flex work place on my, on my company's bill, it's actually not that easy. This isn't like a, a, a one-click order. This is like a 20-click order. You're right. It, I think it, it, there are a number of systems out there now that, that, that have global booking capabilities for meeting rooms, virtual offices, uh, business and co-working space, but people aren't as used to using them particularly on the large corporates. And I think this is something I'm going to reverse this plug over to Lane for a second. Um, um, uh, this wasn't planned as part of this podcast, but I, I, I think it's an important point is that <laughs> large corporations are used to moving people around and tracking them. They're yeah. used to, it. they've been doing that for decades and it's their travel management systems. Okay. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Travel management systems. They know when you book after you've booked that co-working place in London, um, be actually before you booked it, you booked an airline, you booked a ho uh, maybe a hotel. Um, not in London, you wouldn't have booked a rental car. Um, uh, and then separately, you booked a meeting space or a working space through another system. Well, they already know your cost. And they track, they know down to the seat you sit in, what you paid for it. If you're a senior manager, whether you're flying business class or uh, enhanced coach, uh, what you're allowed to fly, they get an exception report. If you're a senior manager and you're only allowed to do an enhanced coach, but you chose business class, then your executive above you gets an exception report and grinds you on it. And they, they know all that already. They know minutia and detail beyond anything that's in facility management. Why aren't they using systems like that? And maybe this is a direction for Lane to go even more than it does to track the workforce in the same way they track it. It gives them master contract capabilities. It gives them the massive amount of data to understand how to shape things. Um, uh, those systems are already in place and it's through the travel management. That's why I say well, there is no office occupier. There are only travelers. Use the damn travel systems. That's it. You got a very good point there. So when, when I go back to the fact that the, the workplace ecosystem is so fragmented and out of date. Uh, so if you take one of our customers, they've got 200 offices across uh, North America that use our product. Each one of those offices is in a different office building who's managed by some another company and maybe has a different owner. Uh, so all of these systems, and, and that's times that by 200. So the software systems or, or even processes that exist at all these different locations, uh, they're all running on different software with different stakeholders. It's all completely disconnected. So you, you're totally right. Like I can, I can book my flight to LA and like land in LA, but I want to be able to open the door with my phone and book my desk before I even get there and show up and people know that I'm in that location. Yep. And the problem is there, there is no technology layer that exists right now 
because there's just tons of disparate systems that you need to connect to make all of that stuff work. And, and that's why they're not doing this right now. It's, it's just a monumentally hard problem to solve right now. And, and one of the reasons we created this, this platform called Lane. Well, you know, it's funny. It's, it's, I'm, I'm very familiar with the travel industry because we previously owned a large data company in that industry uh, back in the 90s. And in the 90s and going into about 96, 90, 95, 96, all of those problems were solved by what we called travel agents. Yeah. <laughs> it was solved by people. That's right. There was a person there that had the capacity to provide that layer of service. Um, and then we've devolved from a service concierge level structure to a fully automated structure. Um, but having a knowledgeable workforce that provides that layer of service to bridge until the technology exists. We shouldn't be non-functional until the technology exists. And by the way, we'll never build it right if we do that. Um, we should, should look to companies to provide a people layer to handle that on behalf of a company, uh, uh, which they can very easily. We used to do it quite ex uh, effectively. We, we can do that in officing uh, uh, now uh, with virtual office managers, let's say. Uh, as opposed to just, uh, you know, uh, having the space available. Um, so there's a whole other layer, I think, in between that can be built as, as we move forward. You know, we're, run, we're running uh, late on time. I think we do not keep this going for another hour if we wanted to. Uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, uh, but uh, just one last last thing. Let's close off with, with your thoughts on what are the tangible things that you think people can do today what, what can they do right now, the top three things to move themselves effectively towards that future of work uh, and feel as if they've actually accomplished something? Well, I think if you're in commercial real estate, I think it's time to start layering on that technology layer, layer that makes things easy to access. So if you want to offer flex space or you want to offer turnkey conference rooms or uh, anything on the spectrum of flex you really got to put that technology technology layer in place because that's what your customers are expecting to exist now. So everything from how do I access the building to how do I interact with services and amenities, there has to be a technology layer on top of all this stuff. Uh, I think if you're a company, uh, the top thing you can do is start thinking about how you power this, this hybrid work model. So we know that we've got like Zoom or Google Meets or, or Microsoft Teams that allows people to like connect uh, you know, digitally. But how do you bring people back into the office and give them something in their hand that's as easy to use as Airbnb so they can access the office and understand what's going on and book their, book their space, find out what culture events are happening, what's going on in the neighborhood, and, allow, and give them that easy transition uh, so that maybe I want to work in, a, in New York or I want to work in Berlin. And, and how do I make that as easy as possible for my employees to actually uh, access? And then I think the top thing for employees is, you know, start demanding this from your employer. You, you really should be asking them, why don't I have a remote control to the office that get, connects me into all these things? So I think those would be the, the top things for each one of those kind of stakeholders across the ecosystem. No, that's, that's a pretty heavy duty to-do list. Uh, <laughs> for a lot of people, but I think I think you're right on in, in that regard. Uh, Clint, if, if someone wanted to reach you personally, um, uh, how would they do so? 
Yeah, you can send me an email at clint at joinlane.com or feel free to look me up on LinkedIn. I check my LinkedIn pretty often. So just Clinton J. Robinson. Thanks. That, that, that'll work. Well, we really appreciate your time today. I know how busy you are and, and uh, I, I know our audience appreciates it as well. Just This is a vital topic and you provide a, a, a vital insight uh, towards that topic. So we're, we're very grateful to you and, and, and thank you very much. Thanks, Frank. Always a pleasure and enjoy it out there in California. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> Take care, Clint. Bye-bye. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Are you ready?